You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. New details about the mass shooting in Las Vegas in just a moment, but first breaking details of a disturbing story out of Surrey tonight. RCMP are appealing for more potential victims to come forward following the approval of charges in a series of alleged sexual assaults. Catherine Urquhart joins us from the newsroom with details on this. And Catherine, this case involves a pastor and his wife. Yes, Sophie, Chris, troubling allegations are emerging tonight as Surrey RCMP issued that plea for people to come forward. Here's what we know so far. A police investigation started in May amid several allegations against 34-year-old Samuel Emerson. Emerson is a pastor at the Cloverdale Christian Fellowship Church. The accusations against him involve alleged incidents between 2015 and 2017. Samuel Emerson is now charged with 13 counts of sexual assault, 11 counts of being in a position of authority and touching a person for a sexual purpose, and one count of sexual touching of a person under the age of 16. Also charged, the pastor's wife, 37-year-old Madeline Emerson. She's charged with one count of sexual assault, one count of being in a position of authority and touching a person for a sexual purpose, and one count of threats to cause death or bodily harm. Our investigation is still ongoing, and our officers believe that by releasing their names and pictures, there may be other victims out there who have not reported an incident yet to police. So we're appealing for those people to come forward. Following the arrest, the two were released under a number of strict conditions. Again, anyone who has information about these alleged assaults is asked to call Surrey RCMP or Crime Stoppers. All right, thanks for that. Catherine Urquhart reporting tonight. Now some new stories of survival and heartbreak tonight emerging from the tragedy in Las Vegas. Maple Ridge's Jordan McElDoon was at that concert with his girlfriend when the shots rang out. He was fatally wounded, and today she sat down with our John Hua to talk about losing the love of her life. Jordan McElDoon was the man that held her heart. He taught me how to love, and he taught me how to be a good person. And he was the love of my life. When bullets rained down in Las Vegas, Amber Vanderpool says her boyfriend's final embrace was an act of heroism. He started to run and he covered me. And he saved me. As 22,000 people rushed for cover, the couple ducked behind a table. That's when the 23-year-old from Maple Ridge told his girlfriend he'd been shot. And his last words to me after being shot were, I love you. And that is something that I will never forget. Vanderpool, a nursing student, says her and an off-duty paramedic desperately tried CPR with no response until she was pulled from the love of her life by others, fearing the danger wasn't over. He will always have a special place in my heart until my last breath. Just like I wasn't his. <sighs> a hard contrast to happier times. The pair with birthdays just a week apart, hoping to turn the Route 91 Music Festival into an annual ritual. Instead, McElDoon dying just five days shy of turning 24. Like, I 
no longer get to spend the rest of my life with the love of my life because someone senselessly decided to do this. McElDoon being remembered by family as a young man who lived a life full of adventures. His caring nature and wit matched only by his love of country music. In a statement, his parents write, from the people who stayed with Jordan that night and held his hand, to the first responders who had to rush in to an unimaginable scene. We would like to thank everyone for their incredible love and support. He was just, he was amazing. On her arm, Amber Vanderpool wears the maple leaf adorned bandana. McElDoon wore before he died. This will forever be a reminder of that day. A symbol of just how precious love can be and how easily it can be stolen away. And if anyone ever could feel the way we felt about each other, then you just hold on to them really tightly because you never know. You never know. John Hua, Global News. Well, as you just heard, McElDoon's family thanks everyone for their love and support, including those who stayed with Jordan and tried to help him that night, from the first responders to Heather Goose, a concert bartender who held his hand and informed family he had passed. His fingers were kind of wrapped on my hand, his hand, like kind of squeezed a little bit and then just like went loose. It's what you see on TV, and it's never going to be you. It's never going to happen to you. And it was happening. At least three other Canadians were killed in that mass shooting. 34-year-old Tara Rowe of Okotoks, Alberta, was among the spectators at the music festival. 34-year-old Jessica Klimchuk, a mother of four from Valley View, Alberta, and 28-year-old Calamedig of Edmonton. In less than 10 minutes of gunfire raining down on country music fans, 59 people were killed, more than 500 were hurt. At least a dozen remain in critical condition. And our Paul Johnson is in Las Vegas right now. Paul, investigators trying to answer the biggest question, and that is why this happened. Chris, it's completely baffling. You know, before this happened, if you would have created a profile of the kind of person who was going to carry this out, most likely it would not have been a description of 64-year-old Stephen Paddock. Figuring out why he did this is the top priority of law enforcement in the U.S. right now. I uh, got I got shot in my forearm and my uh, hip. Visiting Las Vegas from Victoria, Sheldon Mack was like so many people Sunday night, wounded, needing help, but offering what assistance he could. I helped out a group of girls who we had talked earlier the night and one of them had a big, like, bloody shoulder. Uh, there saw a guy, two guys, about five rows up from us that I saw, they, uh, they were done for, they were down. No one saw this coming. Police now believe the lone suspect, Stephen Paddock, is the only person involved. But they have no idea what was behind this massacre. Paddock was a 64-year-old retiree with no criminal background. He checked into the Mandalay Bay on September 28th, carrying with him an arsenal of 23 guns. He set up video cameras in the suite and in the hallway 
to keep an eye on the eventual response from the SWAT team. This individual is premeditated, obviously premeditated. The fact that he had the, the type of weaponry and the amount of weaponry in that room, um, it was preplanned. The investigation is now turned to the suspect and his lifestyle. The man seemingly had a more than comfortable life, known to gamble in excess of $10,000 a night. According to the Clark County Sheriff's Office, a search of the man's home in Mesquite turned up 19 more guns and explosives. Police are also examining Paddock's bank records. In the week before the shooting, he was able to wire $100,000 to the Philippines where his girlfriend had been visiting. Paddock's family, like the rest of the world, is struggling to find answers. I'm, believe me, I sympathize with everybody who's grasping. Who on this planet do you think is grasping for this understanding more than me? Paddock's girlfriend is still considered a person of interest and is flying home to the U.S. Investigators hope she has some of the missing pieces. Yeah. For Mac and the other 500-plus victims, the answers won't ever be enough. Yeah, I, I just don't get what drives evil like that or what causes someone to have that in their heart and they out and some people. And Paul, Las Vegas police had scheduled an update uh, right at the top of the hour. Do you have any idea what they were going to be releasing? They just started speaking and they're still talking, but one of the things they have been talking about is a, a more of fine report of the exact chronology of what happened. They're talking about the shooting lasting between about 9 and 11 minutes, which is actually shorter than what people had been talking about. And then they're saying it took that SWAT team 72 minutes to locate the shooter and then to get up into that room and to kick that door in. They're also taking care of some other business, as you can imagine. They have more than 100 cars that have been abandoned up there they want to try to find owners of. A lot more details like that expected to come out in the coming days. We're also expecting we may hear more about injured Canadians. Mm -hmm. Chris? A lot more analysis straight ahead. Okay, thanks very much. Paul Johnson in Vegas. And our Grace Key is at YVR once again tonight, talking to travelers who are arriving home from Vegas. And Grace, several more planes touched down today and still more terrifying stories. Yeah, we spoke to some of the travelers as they were uh, coming here at the Vancouver International Airport. And as you can imagine, just some very disturbing stories here. There were about three flights that came in today, the last one arriving at about 4.20. Now, some of the folks we spoke with say that they were actually in their hotels when the shooting occurred. They said that uh, there were some announcements over the PA system uh, that they uh, just to clear the area out. And they said it cleared out, the casino area cleared out very quickly. Another group of friends just arriving, uh, they live in Port Moody. We did speak with one of them and they were at the country music festival we thought everyone thought it was fireworks at first and then the second burst started and everybody just kind of started running for cover and i know a bunch of people got trampled but we got under a table and our friends made it out and we all got separated but got back to our place and you know one of our friends got shot she's in the hospital there still but she'll be okay Yeah, so again, that friend who was shot in the hand, I asked what the prognosis was. He said he wasn't 100% uh, sure, you know, might lose a finger again. He wasn't 100% sure he's going to be speak, touching base with her again. But certainly terrifying for them. They got separated, as you heard. It was a couple of hours later that they were finally able to reunite. So he said for those two hours, you know, you don't know if your friend's dead or alive. You don't know if they're injured or not. 
but again, one friend in the hospital of theirs in the, uh, who did have a gunshot to the hand, and they are all just very thankful to be back home today. I'm sure they are. Grace, thanks for that. In other news now, new clues tonight in last week's double homicide in Vancouver's Marpole neighborhood. Vancouver police releasing pictures of one of the victims, hoping it'll lead to more information that will help solve the case. Our Ramina Dea joins us now live. And Ramina, I know you spoke with police and got a look at some of those surveillance photos. We did, Chris, and a, a week after these murders, investigators have arrived on scene. Police are here aggressively canvassing the area, detectives asking the public to hone in on a specific timeline. Now, first, the murder victim, Richard Jones. We have new video stills, as you mentioned, of him seen last Tuesday or around last Tuesday. Police won't say where the footage is from. He had his mobility device with him. As you can see, he was last seen wearing the same clothes. Now, police want to talk to anyone who saw Richard. Nothing suspicious. They're just trying to put together a timeline of him last Tuesday. Police still don't know if the murders of Richard and his wife, Diana, were random or were they targeted? They are looking for any surveillance video tonight, any security footage from a home or business, any dash cam video even from noon Tuesday to noon Wednesday of last week. So over a 24-hour period from 58th Avenue West to 70th between Oak and Granville. We want to know who did this and we want to hold them accountable. And we are going to knock on doors. We are going to go back to your house and ask you for video if you have it and you haven't had an opportunity to contact, contact us. What you may think by reviewing your video that's not important, you may just see some cars going by, you may see some kids on a bike. I'm not sure what you're seeing. What we are asking you is you call us, let us have a look at the video, and let us decide whether or not it's important. Now, people who knew this couple are absolutely dumbfounded still as to what the possible motive po could be. Police not talking about any of those details. Still no arrests have been made in this case. And police are asking again for the public's help tonight. They need it. They need it deeply tonight is what they're telling us. All Back right. Thanks. Thanks very much, Romina. There has been a fatal crash halfway between Kamloops and Jasper involving a tour bus and a van. It happened about 18 kilometers north of Blue River. RCMP say two people in the minivan, a male driver in his 60s and his female passenger in her 40s, were killed when it crossed the center line, colliding head-on with the bus. The highway has reopened to single-lane alternating traffic. Disruptive technology that aims to change how and what we drive. Turo is an option that traditional rental car companies hate. It allows just about anyone to rent out their own car to anyone. It works in cities all over the world, but not in B.C. Why Turo, just like Uber, is having a hard time getting its technology approved for use here in just over a minute. A close call for crew and actors on a movie set. What happened when police thought it was a real gun? Coming up later. And a stunning shot from the remote Russian wilderness. More polar bears than you can count captured on camera. Why they're gathered here later on the news hour.
First, though, using your own car to generate income when you're not using it. It's a concept that a company called Turo has used to disrupt the car rental industry. It's like Airbnb, but for your vehicle. And even though it's successful in other Canadian cities, Nadia Stewart tells us what's holding them back here in B.C. We now have more than 220,000 members here in Canada. Turo, just the latest transportation startup with its sights set on Vancouver. Toronto and Montreal are our two biggest markets now. We have more than uh, 6,500 cars listed across Canada, and uh, you know that number is growing every day. But getting those numbers to grow here in BC comes with some roadblocks. We knew this was a you know a, a challenging market, uh, but at the same time, this is a market that's very natural for Turo. Think of it as Airbnb for your car. When they're not behind the wheel, owners can register online, making their vehicle available for short-term rentals. The thinking is rather than having a car sit idle, it could be a moneymaker. That is, once people are convinced it's worth it to sign up. This is uh, something that's uh, quite intimate and uh, that belongs to them, so uh, it takes uh, some uh, uh, change of perspective to actually trust in, in, in the platform that we provide, uh, but that's where the insurance is key. Turo falls in the category of peer-to-peer car sharing, but the challenge for them is the same as for other companies, insurance. In other provinces, a special add-on product was created to accommodate owners, but in BC, the only option was to go commercial. It is a familiar story in BC and beyond. Legislation often lags behind new and innovative transportation solutions. We're going to work really hard uh, as of now uh, with the legislators and regulators to make sure that we can create a similar insurance product to be able to bring uh, Turo to all individual private car owners in British Columbia. In the meantime, Turo is working with independent car rental companies to offer a comparable experience. They hope to offer the real deal soon. Nadia Stewart, Global News. On the topic of what and how we drive, 2,000. That's how many distracted driving citations were issued in Vancouver just last month alone. And even more shocking, some of the excuses officers heard while writing up the tickets. Our Tanya Beja joins us with more on the campaign. And Tanya, drivers just don't seem to be getting the message. Sophie, despite repeated warnings and hefty fines, police say drivers still aren't putting down their phones. Distracted drivers aren't hard to find. Police ticketed nearly 2,000 of them in September and heard just as many excuses. From a man justifying his actions because he was watching his website to a woman who thought it would be okay to have her cell phone on her lap while she ate her meal with both hands off the wheel. Bravo Whiskey Kilo, is he in the uh, right turn lane? Distracted driving is now one of the leading causes of death on the road, surpassing impaired driving and second only to speed. I just notice that they're on their phones all the time, quite a bit of the time when they're driving through my work site. You're not only, um, you know, jeopardizing your life, but, you know, someone else's lives. Police say the culprits are spotted most often idling at intersections. So it seems to be at the red lights where people think it's okay to check your phone, and it's not. You're still in control and care of that vehicle and you're distracted by your phone. It has to be secured to the vehicle uh, or on your person. It can't be loosely sitting in a cup holder beside you. And it's usually the one touch rule, one touch to turn it off, one touch to turn it on, and that's it. 
ICBC says it will soon launch a pilot project using technology to limit cell phone use. Until then, a ticket will set you back $368 and four demerit points for a total of 543 so that's a big chunk in your pocket to be paying just to be able to look down and check a text or uh, be able to send a message to someone. And repeat offenders risk losing their license. Police say if you need to use a phone inside a vehicle, pull over and put the car in park. Sophie and Chris, back to you. Tanya Beja reporting tonight. Tanya, thank you. Building homes out of what looks like Lego. We put these on the outside made out of things you'd normally find in a recipe. Why this home is built to be harmless. And a major seizure of animals in much better hands now. A touching rescue in Australia of a stranded koala bear. The bear was chased off a busy road by a driver worried it'd be hit and proceeded to climb nearly 30 meters up a drilling rig. The fire department was called in and the koala was gently captured and carefully lowered to the ground. At last word, it was being checked over by a vet to determine whether it could be safely released back into the wild. The SPCA has raided another breeding operation and seized a number of dogs and puppies in appalling condition. The dogs have been cleaned up now, but the SPCA says when they were found in Chilliwack, they were soaked in urine with long nails and badly matted fur, and were living in areas with high ammonia levels. The puppies range in age from one day old to two years old, and most of the older dogs needed extensive dental surgery. Discriminate breeders are breeding purely for profit. Um, they really don't care which dog is being bred with which dog, and as a result you could get into breeding, and um, they could have abnormalities as a result. So it's really important that, this, that we regulate these, uh, these breeders. The SPCA says many of the dogs are now ready for adoption. In the community of Souk on Vancouver Island, a unique home is rising above the trees, built out of blocks that look like supersized Lego. The owners wanted to build a net zero home, even generating more energy than they use. And as Nitu Garcha reports, the walls are made using some cutting edge green technology. We put these on the outside. It looks just like Lego. Pretty straightforward. And works just like it, too. It's, it's Lego block inspired, actually, and it's uh, a mortise and tenon joint that, that, it, that forms a structure. But these blocks are being used to build real homes and buildings, and they're essentially made of three basic ingredients, hemp, lime, and water. The interior of a hemp stalk, it's called the herd, and it's chipped up and mixed with lime and then pressed into a block. The main and Calgary blocks are not only fireproof. Fort Mac has shown a lot of interest. Um, and, and in BC as well here with the forest fires that we've done testing with this and held a torch up to it for, for quite a long time, up to an hour, and, and, it, and it barely has any impact on it. They're also insulating. They get stronger over time and don't mold. It only makes sense they're being used to build this net zero home, which according to the owner is the only one built of biofiber. It's the first one ever. Popping up on a hillside property in Souk, just outside Victoria, it's being called the Harmless Home. That's going to dug deep so he can actually grow trees in there. When done, there will be a greenhouse to grow food inside the house. There will be a solar panel roof, rainwater will be collected in a cistern for domestic use, and it'll come equipped with a Tesla battery bank. Energy-wise, we will be self-sufficient. 
thanks to these blocks that allow for faster than usual construction. See how the end's flat there? That part's beveled for electrical wiring. This home is said to be ready to live in by the spring. And the owners welcome guests who want to check it out in hopes they too will consider going green on their next build. So much talk and writing about things. We said, let's put our money where our mouth is. Nitu Garcha, Global News, near Victoria. <laughs> it makes you think about those little Lego kits, doesn't it? Little Lego men and put them in there too. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Pretty interesting stuff, though. Well, Donald Trump faces the destruction and his critics in Puerto Rico. Now, I hate to tell you, Puerto Rico, but you've thrown our budget a little out of whack. What happened during his visit to the battered U.S. territory? And more polar bears than you've ever seen in one place. And the feast they were sharing. Coming up next. Yahoo now says a data breach last year affected 3 billion people, three times the number it revealed late last year. The stolen information includes names, email addresses, phone numbers, birth dates, and security questions and answers. It's not clear yet whether Yahoo accounts in Canada are affected. U.S. President Donald Trump traveled into hurricane-ravaged Puerto Rico today on a wave of bad feelings caused by his Twitter rants after the disaster. As NBC's Ron Mott reports, whether he managed to mend any fences is up for debate. President Trump meeting families in Puerto Rico today. We're going to help you out. Thank you. Have a good time. Thank you, Mr. President. Thank you. Tossing paper towels to residents impacted by Hurricane Maria and praising the federal response, though raising eyebrows by comparing the death toll in Puerto Rico to Hurricane Katrina in 2005. If you look at a real catastrophe like Katrina, and you look at the tremendous hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people that died, you can be very proud of all of your people, all of our people working together. 16 versus literally thousands of people. Uh, you can be very proud. Last week, the president and the response were sharply criticized by San Juan's outspoken mayor, Carmen Yulin Cruz. We are dying here. Today, they shook hands. But Mr. Trump did not acknowledge the mayor during his briefing while recognizing others. This governor did not play politics. He didn't play it at all. The president also raised the cost of the disaster. But you've thrown our budget a little out of whack. With power still out to 93% of the island and basic aid just now trickling into some remote towns, survival takes priority over politics for people like Luis Bertrand. We're Puerto Ricans and we're strong people. We're going to grow up again. But we need his help. A few services are improving. And today, a Navy hospital ship pulled into port offering support. He saw the disaster that has become of the island. And I think um, he's going to help us, help us get up, um, stand up again. Taking the president at his word to help a day at a time. A spectacular sight now on Russia's far eastern shore. Polar bears are usually solitary animals so seeing this many in one place is very unusual a gathering like this is called a celebration of polar bears the bears have come to feed on the washed up remains of a whale siberia's wrangell nature reserve is known for having one of the largest populations of polar bears in the world in health matters tonight doctors know that when it comes to surviving cancer the recovery can often be as challenging as the disease itself as Linda Aylesworth reports, a new type of therapy recruits Mother Nature to help. 
It's hard to be stressed out in a setting like this, and that's the point, at the Free Spirit Sanctuary in Cochrane, Alberta. Just to sit and watch them, observe them, um, is relaxing to, to groom them, to feed them, to just be around them. Being in nature is so relaxing. Like so many, Rose dealt with stress on a daily basis and did her best to cope. But when she was diagnosed with cancer, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, one and a half years ago, it became too much for her to manage. Going through the cancer and the, the, um, the chemo, I realized that something has to change. There's got to be some kind of a change in my life. Enter Dr. Sandy Huckle, who after surviving cancer herself, turned her professional attention to helping her fellow cancer survivors, women in particular, with something called ecotherapy. Despite the fact that we've, we've always known that nature is healing, as a professional field, um, it's very much in its um, infancy. She offers nature therapy for cancer survivors, a program that uses the great outdoors and the sanctuary's resident horses and donkeys to create mindfulness. Mindfulness is moment-to-moment -moment awareness of our inner and our outer worlds. So an awareness of our thoughts, our emotions, our body sensations. I'm able to deal with stressful situations much more easily now and uh, the effects are not lingering. It's not like I'm dwelling on something for a long time. I'm able to deal with it and let it pass. And less stress aids the healing process, both mentally and physically. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. Coming up, the farewell no one wanted. I want to thank you for 40 years of a really great time. Tom Petty, a vital and remarkable musician right up until the end. And the movie set mix-up that led to a life or death close call. Drop the gun! 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 Tense moments as a police officer confronts a bank robber. The surprise ending after the forecast. All right, let's calm it down just a little bit here and bring Christy in with a look at the weather forecast. We've got a couple of beautiful evenings out there, and the one behind you looks just as spectacular. That's right. Forecast is easy peasy, you guys, these days. Look at this. So sun just about to set. Uh, I think the official time is 6.47. I'll have a look at that in a second. But in any minute, uh, that's going to set over the horizon. What a splendid shot. Okay, we warmed up to 17 degrees today. Average is 15. So we're just a little bit above average. We'll take it. Tons of sunshine out there and check out these temperatures inland 21 degrees in Chilliwack today hope 21 and we have two more of these beautiful days on the way tomorrow will be similar in temperature and Thursday could be even hotter here's a look at the reason why we've got a nice upper level ridge so this is the jet stream that meanders around the uh, the uh, planet and you can see a nice arc in the jet stream up and over our province right now and that diverts all of the moisture to the north through the summer months we had this pattern in place day after day after day. As we headed into fall, what we had is a bit of a change in the pattern in that we kept on having these nice arcs in the jet stream, similar to what we're seeing right now, but then they'd break down a little bit, but only for a couple of days before it rebuilds. And so that is the pattern. We saw a breakdown over the weekend. It's rebuilding through our week. And as we head into the weekend, unfortunately, it's going to break down for a couple of days, but it'll rebuild. So not to worry, everyone. That seems 
to be the pattern so far this fall, and it looks like it's going to continue. So this is your tomorrow with that big arc in the jet stream, driving most of the cloud up into Whitehorse. For you in Whitehorse, mostly dry tomorrow, but you're expecting rain on Thursday. And across the south, you may see some cloud cover in the morning, otherwise sunshine. 18 degrees in a Kamloops, 18 for a Soyuz. Across Metro Vancouver, we'll see a range from 17 to 20 degrees. Areas like Nanaimo hitting 20 degrees, 22 potentially in Chilliwack and Abbotsford tomorrow, and even warmer on Thursday. So inland regions away from the water, 22 degrees on Thursday. We cool off a little bit on Friday, and we expect that upper-level ridge to break down late Friday, bringing in a chance of showers once again, and that takes us into our weekend as well. We've got four birthdays for you tonight. Birch's Bird celebrating 104 years, 103 years for Doris Bullock, and also a gentleman celebrating 100 years, Richard Reese and Catherine Andrews as well, and just a stunning shot from Prince George tonight, a time-lapse shot of the stars. Thanks to Chris Foote for that. Looks like uh, Star Wars almost. Yeah. Warp speed. That's right. Thanks very much, Christy. Well, when police responded to a 911 call in Crawfordsville, Indiana, it looked like they'd caught a bank robber red-handed. Turns out it was an accidental tragedy narrowly averted. A body camera captures Sergeant Matt Schroeder carefully approaching and then confronting the robber, even firing a warning shot. Drop the gun now! Drop the gun! Drop the gun! Drop the gun! We're doing a movie. That's right. Step back! Step back! Step back! We're doing a movie. Step back! That's right. It was a movie shoot. Problem was, according to the police, no one told them. It didn't help that the other actors and the movie equipment were all inside the business and out of the line of sight. The producers say that they'll make sure they notify the police from now on. No kidding. Yikes. Amazing. Seems like these days you don't want to wander around. Like, anyway. <laughs> Let everybody know. But he should have dropped it right away and put his ha- arms up. Yeah. yeah. Maybe he thought that guy was an actor, <laughs> yeah, too. Yeah, exactly. I, maybe I didn't read the script yeah. properly. I didn't remember this part. <laughs> yeah. It's all very Strange. confusing. Yeah. All right, Square. Okay, so the Canucks made a trade today, and they made their last cut. So going to Utica is... Yeah, despite a great preseason, Darren Archibald loses his spot. He would have made it if it wasn't for those darn kids. It's a Scooby-Doo ending. There was also a trade as well. We'll tell you about that. And the lives Tom Petty touched with his music still to come. All right. Okay, so it was cut down day for the Canucks. They also made a deal Mm -hmm. with the Penguins. We'll start with the final cut because we talked about this yesterday. So being the last cut in training camp is like finishing fourth in the Olympics. You get no reward. You just get a firm handshake. And today, Darren Archibald was the final cut for the Canucks. He got that handshake, and they gave him a plane ticket to Utica, New York, a place he knows well. Vancouver decided, and not to denigrate Archibald, but rightly decided to give their top two scorers in the preseason, Vertanen and Besser, jobs with the Canucks to start the year. It's a decision... That will sit much better with Canucks Nation because sending down one of those two kids who played so well in the exhibition campaign would go against the grain of the rebuilding program. And if it's any consolation, it's likely Archibald would be the Canucks' first call should they need a forward. It's no guarantee that Vertanen or Besser 
might not be sent to Utica if they underperform in the regular season. And of course, if there is the inevitable injury, Archibald is someone Travis Green knows well, trusts. He was his leading scorer in Utica last year. He will likely reappear for the Canucks sometime this season. We thought we'd do this. This is not inside baseball or inside hockey here. This is a guess. What will the lines be like? Henrik hasn't practiced the last two days, but I'm going to guess Vanek might start the year with them. The second line, I think, is pretty much set. Third and fourth line interchangeable. But let's go with Granlin, Vertan, and Erickson. Vermeestrov, Sutter, Gagne, and the extra forward will be Derek Dorsett. That will constantly change. The lines are blurred lines, you might want to say, as the season progresses. The Canucks acquired defenseman Derek Pouliot today from the Pittsburgh Penguins for Andre Padan in a fourth-round draft pick. Now, this move means Patrick Weirkoch will go on waivers tomorrow. Pouliot is a guy who was actually coached by Travis Green when they were both with the Portland Winterhawks. And he is a player who has spent the majority of his time with the Penguins in their minor league affiliate. He's not great defensively. He has always been an offensive defenseman. But he is one that has not been able to stick in the NHL. 23 years old, still has time, was named the WHL's best defenseman in 2014. He's number 51 there. He was a great leader in some great Winterhawk teams, played on Canada's national junior team, drafted eighth overall in 2012. But the offensive prowess that he had in junior has not traveled well, although he did get a goal in his very first NHL shot against Roberto Luongo. Perhaps Travis Green can get the best out of him like he did in junior. And speaking of defensemen, as expected, Ole Olevi is going to play this season in Finland. He's not going back to his junior team in London. He'll play in Turku, where he'll work with former Canuck Sammy Salo, who is coaching there. He coached uh, Yolevi a bit in the summer with the uh, Canucks prospects at an early camp. You will see Yolevi play for Finland at the World Junior Tournament in December and January. The Canucks are looking for signs of improvement. They didn't see that last season in Yolevi's second year in the OHL. All right, Whitecaps, Red Bulls, Saturday. They'll be missing some key players. The Whitecaps will because of international commitments. Kendall Waston, Christian Bolanos, Stefan Marinovic, and Jordi Reyna all playing for their countries this week. Reyna will get up against Messi as they'll play Argentina. Uh, Peru will, that is. But Freddie Montero is going to play in this game. He missed that huge win over Kansas City on Saturday. They gave him a break in that one. And they'll need him to be good down the stretch, especially with Reyna. Montero is going to be a key man for Vancouver heading into the playoffs. He's got 13 goals and he probably should have had 18 to 20. He's probably missed easy chances and he scored and he knows that. But they're good players. They're on the same wavelength. You know, they work off each other and they share the workload. And, you know, when they're both on, we're a difficult team to play against. But we know if we can create chances for Freddie, and Jordi's certainly been a key contributor in that, then, you know, we'll score goals. Freddie will score goals. It's wild card night in Yankee Stadium, and the first inning was predictably wild. Brian Dozier and the uh, Twins scored three in their half of the first inning. Yankees in the bottom half of the first inning also get three. Didi Gregorius. That scores a trio. And then more cheering in the Bronx as Brett, uh, Brett Gardner steps up and puts this one over the wall. Solo shot. Twins tied. Now the Yankees have the lead again. 5-4 in the third. There is a big celebration tonight in Victoria for the BC Game Society, which has been running the summer and winter games in this province since the late 70s. It was a great idea. Still is a great idea. 
And for a lot of athletes, the BC Winter and Summer Games is the highlight of their sporting life. For other athletes, it's another rung on the ladder to greater successes. And for those who have hosted the games, the communities, it's part of their legacies as well. Jay Janauer is over there for us, and he has a guest as well. I think I can pretty much guarantee I'm the only person in the entire province, maybe in all of Canada, wearing a parka right now. But it's retro time, 40th anniversary of the BC Games Society, 40 years of the BC Summer and Winter Games. Please welcome CEO Kelly Man Kelly. It has been quite the 40 years for the BC Games Society. Well, 40 years in 36 cities and... 100 and, or, yeah, 150,000 athletes, 175,000 volunteers. That's a lot of people through the doors over those years, and, and we're very proud of that fact. So tonight we're going to start a celebration. Yeah, let's talk about the celebration. I think come January you're going to start in Abbotsford and make your way through pretty much the entire province. That's right. Our province is eight zones, and uh, we want to hit every one of those zones. So we're going to go to Trail, and we're going to go to Penticton, starting in Abbotsford, as you said, and then we're going to put a, a big bow in October next year at the BC Sports Hall of Fame where we're really going to celebrate sport in British Columbia as it applies to the BC Summer and Winter Games. 150,000 athletes, coaches, and volunteers, 175,000 volunteers, as you mentioned, Numerous Olympians, we're going to have a few of them here tonight. Well, you know, Brent Hayden's going to be our keynote tonight. Karina LeBlanc has been with us. Uh, Ryder hedgedahl has been with us. Kirsten Sweetland. I mean, the, the list is endless. And I think, you know, most importantly is the provincial organizations have really understood the importance of the BC Games, bringing their best young kids who in turn go to Canada Games, who in turn stand on that international podium. And important, too, to note about volunteers. Volunteers have used the Games as their own personal stepping stones. There's countless mayors and councillors and school district people, as well as, as senior politicians in the province and Canada that have been through our BC Games volunteer system. That's not to say that because of the BC Games they're there, but it just shows the kind of people that we attract, and we're very, very proud of that fact. The first BC Games was in Penticton, 1978. The next one, the Winter Games, will be in Kamloops. I might have to hand off the retro jacket. Yes, there's somebody shivering outside right now because Jay <laughs> borrowed their jacket. It, it does look like a throwback jacket. It's a throwback, it's yeah. Well. <laughs> Thanks, Claire. Here's Jay Durant now with a preview of Global News at 11, including more Jay from the police press conference in Vegas. That's right, Chris. More details on the investigation into the mass shooting that left 59 people dead. Authorities releasing body camera footage tonight showing the response to the attack from the Mandalay Bay Hotel as they try to direct people to safety and determine exactly where the gunfire is coming from. We'll have the very latest for you, that story, and the rest of the day's news coming up tonight at 11. All right, Jay, thanks very much. Well, he wrote some of the best driving music around, sure didn't did. he? A tribute to Tom Petty up next. As even hip-hop are paying tribute. The legendary singer-songwriter's sudden shocking death at the age of 66 has shaken fans around the world. NBC's Kate Snow reports. At his final concert last Monday. I want to thank you for 40 years of a really great time. Tom Petty, grateful for a career spanning four decades. At 66 years old, he was an American legend. Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers first hit the charts in the 70s. Petty's music was gritty, a mix of Southern blues and California rock. In the mid-80s, Petty played with Bob Dylan at Farm Aid. That led to a worldwide tour. It was just one of those gifts from God. When we were both thrown in there together, 
It was some sort of electricity came from the combination. Then came the supergroup, the Traveling Wilburys, alongside George Harrison, Roy Orbison, Jeff Lynne, and Bob Dylan. Dylan told Rolling Stone magazine, it's shocking, crushing news. He was a great performer, full of the light, a friend, and I'll never forget him. Neither will we. Kate Snow, NBC News, New York. Quit jamming me. That's one that I always remember from high school.